Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our Back to the Bible Canada 60th anniversary series with Theodore Epp and Dr. John Newfeld today with a message entitled The Perseverance of the Elect. John, uh, this is a special series and, and a special message. I think you find it was very personal for Theodore as well. I think it was. I mean, uh, Theodore talks about having been baptized at the age of 15, but only coming to Christ at the age of 20. So he talks about believing everything that was true and then the appropriating of these truths to his life. So, so Ben, it seems to me that genuine conversion and the enduring nature of genuine conversion was central to his ministry. Great, John. And we look forward to listening to this program today. So let's join Theodore Epp now. In the sweet, in the sweet by we shall meet on that beautiful shore by and by. In the sweet, Once again, in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, the first two verses, we're still uh, making contrasts here, which I feel are so utterly essential that we understand them. In this fifth chapter, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is your salvation. We have been justified. And having been justified, God says, Now all sin is wiped out, past, present, future, and you're justified in my presence, and now there's peace between us, between God and uh, my, uh, you and God. But then secondly, he says, by whom, by this Jesus Christ, we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of his glory. What does he mean? We now, he says, by faith can appropriate more and more and more and more of this grace so that we can, wherein we stand, we stand now in this sufficient grace, but he says we can appropriate more for living. We must also distinguish between what we call our state and our standing. Keep these two words in mind, our state and our standing. Between what we are, that is, we are children, that is our state. Then how we behave, that is our standing. We must distinguish between our position, which is in Christ Jesus, and our actual condition among men, living now. We have new life in Christ Jesus. This is recorded in heaven, and the God has settled this on the basis of what Christ has done. We must distinguish between our union in Christ and our communion with him. A married couple has union, but may not always have communion. That's right. They may have union, they may be united, but maybe they are not having communion, fellowship with one another. Christ as our Savior brings union. Christ as our Lord brings communion. Get this thing straight, friends. Namely, we are by faith born into God's family. A child that is born, even though it dies, has once and for all a living soul that is undying. And therefore, it can never be unborn. Its name is written down. Now, when I am born into God's family, it's a very similar act. I become a member of God's family. I've received his life. And that life can never be unborn. Now then, this does not give me license to sin. Neither does this mean 
that my behavior is always going to be exactly as it ought to be. Neither does it mean that my behavior can change this relationship that I have with God. I can have this assurance once and for all, but I must now live and walk accordingly. If I do not, God will look after that. I want us to see now what all of this is based upon. We've got to examine the scriptures, and that's exactly what we shall do. We'll turn to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews to begin with. And there we have discussed for us the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this 10th chapter of Hebrews, verse 10, he says, By the which will we are sanctified, that means set apart, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Notice the emphasis on the once for all. Then he goes on to say, And every priest standing daily ministering the offerings oft times, the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin, but this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting uh, till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected or completely cleansed forever them that are sanctified. I'm going to read this to you from Arthur S. Way. I think very clearly set forth in this passage when he says, And in this accomplishment of God's will, by means of the offering of the body of Jesus the Messiah once for all, have we been consecrated unto God. Verse 12. But he, after offering for sin one sacrifice, which shall forever avail, sat down, his work accomplished, at the right hand of God, having thenceforth only to wait until his foes have been placed like a footstool beneath his feet. For by this one offering he has forever perfectly cleansed those who from the age to age became his consecrated ones. What he is saying is simply this, that in the Old Testament times, every time a person sinned, he would have to bring another sacrifice. But then, of course, they had the Atonement Day once a year. And that was sufficient for uh, the sins of that particular year. Yet, it never completely took away sins, not until Jesus came. When Jesus came, he made one offering, a complete offering. Now, the question that I know that many of you will ask is, was that an offering for past sins or for present sins or for future sins? How could he die for future sins if they had not yet been committed? I think it's a good question. If that were the case, however, then Jesus would have to come again and again and again and again. But you see, when Jesus came, God laid upon him the sins of all of the past, the sins of all of the present, and the sin of all of the future on him at one time. God being who he is, not only foreknowing the sin, but could place the whole sin problem upon Jesus Christ. For really, the sin problem is Adam himself who sinned and the nature of sin. He placed the whole thing on Jesus and once and for all, he took care of all of these sins. Now then, when I therefore have accepted him, what happens to me? Notice what he says now in verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected or completely cleansed forever them that are sanctified. 
In other words, if I have accepted Christ, I've been set apart by him and have become his child. And he has perfected or completely cleansed forever. Isn't that something? He says now all he's got to wait now is he's waiting until all of his enemies be put under his footstool, all those who refuse to accept this. As we read on in this same chapter, he says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of sin is, these is, there is no more offering for sin. If God has remitted them, there is no further offering for sin, no further offering necessary. Jesus paid it all. He provides complete forgiveness for past, present, and future sins. When I accepted this or appropriated this as my own, it took care of all of my sins as far as condemnation is concerned once and for all, for there is now no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. When we're born into his family, we have a birth. You can't even be unborn. Because uh, even though a man may be disinherited, he may be disowned by his parents, but he cannot be unborn. Once he is born, there is an eternal soul. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. And so he tells us in the remainder of this 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, that we shall be bold to come before him. Draw nigh, he says to him, with a true heart, with full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, and your bodies washed with pure water. Now there is this daily cleansing that we talk about from the standpoint of Christian living, which has to do with communion, relationship, fellowship. Yesterday we used this illustration of union and communion. When a couple becomes married, there is union. But that's only when they have relationship, when they talk to each other and commune to each other and have fellowship and there's no barrier between them that they will have communion. And so it happens sometimes in married couples, even though they are one, united in marriage, there's union there. Nevertheless, it happens that they may not commune with each other. And what do they do? Well, then the one that is wrong has to go to the other one and ask for forgiveness, confess his sin. Now, that's our relationship to the Lord. We are united to Christ Jesus, so completely united that we have become one with him. However, this communion may not always continue, and therefore we need to come daily. If we say we have not sinned, or we say we have no sin in us, we are wrong, he says in First John, the first chapter. Therefore, let us confess our sins, and he is just to forgive us, and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now then, the next question that arises is a question that uh, many of you will have, the same question that they had when Paul was on this earth. And that is, well, if this is the case, then it's all right for me just to go ahead and sin if it's already taken care of. Now, the very first thing that I want to say is this. If that's a thought that has entered your mind, then God has not yet given his nature there. You have not yet been born again. Because when you're born again, you have received his nature. A nature that does not want to sin. That doesn't, doesn't mean that you don't fall into sin because you're living in the old body, in the old sinful body. But, as they said in Paul's day in the sixth chapter of Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, for how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we continue to live therein? I'm not saying talking about sin is perfection now. I'm simply saying you cannot continue to live in it. You may fall into it. But you don't continue to live in sin. Do you ever wonder how your giving to Back to the Bible Canada makes a difference? Shona said Back to the Bible Canada continues to bring a drifting world back to God's Word. Don't ever change. 
Kim said, not only do I find the program enjoyable, it goes way beyond that to be a sustaining ministry for my husband and I, keeping us in touch daily with the scriptures. Mark wrote, I'm working through singing the Lord's song in a strange land. It is both encouraging and terribly convicting. I suppose that is what truth always does in our hearts. Jacob said the teaching of Dr. Neufeld is so needed. Thank you for not being afraid to tell us as it says. This is the tip of the iceberg as men, women, young and old tap into the Bible. Resources provided with your support. Thank you and please keep it up. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. I've often been asked, can a genuine believer in Jesus lose his or her salvation? And to this, I've often heard the stories. So-and-so used to be a follower of Jesus and now, well, they're no longer doing so. Now, some of you might know the very sad story of Charles Templeton. Billy Graham, the American evangelist, and Charles Templeton, the Canadian evangelist, close friends, effective in calling men and women to Christ. Between the two of them, many thought Templeton the more powerful preacher. But there came a time in which the lives of the two men diverged. And shortly before Templeton died at the age of 86, he authored his final book, Farewell to God. He chronicles how he began to doubt his faith He chronicles his conversations about that matter with Graham, and he chronicles how at some point in his life, with his doubts mounting, he finally comes to the point when he decides to turn his back on his faith, to decide that God was not real and that the Bible was not trustworthy. And so Templeton became a broadcaster on CBC television and then became the first editor of McLean's magazine. But even to the end, he still said of Billy Graham, he's the only mass evangelist that I would trust. And yet he died in unbelief from believer to unbeliever. You know, I recently looked up his book, Farewell to God, and then read the reader's reviews. And the first reviewer wrote, as someone who was an evangelical Christian for decades and am now an unbeliever, and and from that perspective, she, she comments on Templeton's work. And so what do we make of this? You know, I, for one, am in complete agreement with Theodore Epps' view of eternal salvation. I am because that's what the Bible plainly teaches. John chapter 10, 27 to 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, notice the themes in the text that I've just read. Jesus is describing his sheep. They are his sheep because they know his voice. That is, they respond to him. Furthermore, we notice that he's given them eternal life. Now, if the life is eternal, we must therefore assume that it is never-ending life. That means it lasts forever. Eternal is the opposite of death. Eternal is the opposite of judgment. It's the opposite of separation from God. Now, I know that there are those who teach that eternal life is just a quality of life, but the word itself implies a life without end. And that's further reinforced when Jesus says that no one can snatch them out of my hand. And for those who teach that that we can take ourselves out of his hand, even this seems impossible. No one must also include the one who is in Christ's hand. Not even that one can take him out of his hand. 
You know, that idea is reinforced by Hebrews 10, the very passage that Theodore App was helping us understand. Hebrews 10, verse 10, once and for all. Hebrews 10, 14, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Then we have the imposition of both the positional work of Christ, that is, the work of eternally perfecting his own for all time, and then the ongoing outworking of that positional work, that is, those who are perfected for all time are those who right now are being, present tense, sanctified. I mean, combine those thoughts with the rest of Scripture. Philippians 1 verse 6. I'm sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Or 1 Peter 1 verse 3, where Peter rejoices that God has caused us to be born again. I mean, that was the Father's work. He directed that we should be born again, says Peter. And then in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. You see, something that is perishable, well, that can run out, that can decay, that can come to nothing. But something that's imperishable, well, that can never be destroyed, and so it's eternal. And just in case we don't get it, verse 5, Peter says, and he's referring to those who've been born again, he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So from that passage, what is guarding our salvation, says Peter, is God. He guards it. Now, we could go on and on. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, speaking of our salvation, well, it uses words like, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. See, when God gives a guarantee, well, he guarantees his promise. We're assured that that thing is going to happen. Or listen to Romans 8, verse 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, meaning that God has already foreordained that those whom he caused to be born again would continue on in faith and in faithfulness, that they would persevere in their faith all the way through to the end. So, child of God, if you've come to know Christ truly, you will not fall away because you can't fall away because God foreordained that you wouldn't fall away and that he continues moment by moment to protect you with his power. And those of you who listened to Theodore Epp carefully as he made that case primarily from Hebrews 10 will also notice that, that later in that same chapter, going down to verses 26 and 27, well, that chapter says... For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And this passage, along with one very much like it in Hebrews chapter 6, has caused a great many Christians to wonder, why are these warnings included if it were not possible to go on sinning deliberately? And since it is possible to go on sinning deliberately, that's where the confusion comes in. You know, perhaps, say some, it must then be possible to lose our salvation. So you might have noticed that Theodore Epp already tipped his hand to that matter. I mean, he spoke of Romans 6, verse 1. Are we to go on sinning that grace may abound, Theodore said. And if we think that, he argued, well, that's already evidence that we've not been born again. But... You know, is that right to say that? Well, indeed, all manner of Scripture seems to indicate that's exactly right. I mean, consider 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. 
It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. See, something, says John, was already defective about the faith of those who left the fellowship of God's people to pursue the world. And that's exactly what Jesus taught in the parable of the sower that's found in Matthew 13. When the sower sows his seed, some fell among thorny soil and other seed in rocky soil so that it sprouted for a while, but a deep-seated love of sin and a love of the pleasures of this world would eventually choke out the word. In other words, something was defective from the outset. That's why the word was choked out. And that's why Hebrews 6 and 10 are in our Bible. It warns about carrying on in sin, and in so doing, we find that God is accomplishing something. His warnings cause those who are born again to take heed and obey the voice of the Savior. But those who are defective believers, well, they don't heed these warnings. They carry on in their sin. Well, what about Charles Templeton? Didn't he leave the faith because he had doubts? Well, perhaps. You know, but in looking at his book, I find that the doubts he had were hardly insurmountable. Indeed, there are long-established answers to all the doubts that he raises in his book. And what's interesting is that Templeton decided that he would not listen to the answers. Rather, at least in my view, his doubts were what he needed to get him permission to leave Christ and to leave the family of God. But, says John, he was never one of us. Jesus said, there is a love for the world that has never been resolved so that his new birth only looked that way from the outside, but it never truly occurred on the inside. And from that, you know, we need to take heart. For all who have truly renounced their sins and turned to Christ as their only hope of eternal life, the Bible says that this is due to something marvelous that has happened to you. You've been born again, says 1 Peter 1.23. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. See, have no fear, you who have trusted in Christ. Christ keeps his promises, and he will hold you fast all the way until the end. Thanks so much, John, and thanks, Theodore. Just a great message. And remember to join us again tomorrow for continuing this series of our 60th anniversary. And remember, you can get the whole series on CD for free by just calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or joining us on our website at backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Celebrate 60 years of Back to the Bible Canada in 2018. 60 years of ministry that took place because of your prayers and support. In celebration, we'll be announcing a number of events, activities, programs, firsts, and special resources. The first of those is our 60th anniversary series with founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. I know you'll be impacted by the sound teaching and inspired by the heart of Theodore Epp for this ministry and the ongoing faithfulness to his original mission and vision. And as our gift to begin the celebrations, we want to send you this very special five-message series for free. Just ask. And for those who can remember 30, 40, 50 years of ministry ago, there may be also some special moments to stir your memory. 
So call for your copy or to make a ministry gift at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.